on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine. See, this is some of the hate that men's work people get, that, that we're all like self-indulgent. We're really privileged and we live a life of peak experiences with fit women, exotic islands, and just plunging ourselves in ice baths and, and calling that the collective of the, like healing of the collective of humanity. To be honest, it's just like, there's so much more to it than that. There's also taking other people's cultural rituals. There's quoting myself. There's learning all the latest NLP buzzwords like honor, impact, integrity and alignment and of course there's alchemy and the sacred masculine so all this stuff doesn't just happen on its own you know there's a lot of training and a lot of uh, dmt that goes into into the making of a great men's work space holder like myself what does it mean to be a man today and what is masculinity reclaimed from the toxic patterns of domination and disconnection In an era polarized by conflict and biospheric uncertainty, how might we look to the ancient and emerging mythologies for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of imaginal possibility. Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Muhammad Ali Sardar, a.k.a the Ali Chemist, a satirist who speaks to the themes of money, power, sex, race, and religion. In particular, he caught my eye through his various Instagram reels that depict a wry critique of men's work tropes, blind spots, and the dangers of spiritual materialism. Our conversation today is a hybrid experience. First, we open with his alter ego, Patrick Dragon Lotus Flying Jaguar, where he speaks to his path of becoming a sacred men's work facilitator and how to succeed in this burgeoning industry. From there, we shift gears and release the character, and I speak with Ali about his personal journey through transformational spaces, as well as the power of satire to bring a sacred mirror and upend dogma wherever it manifests. A heads up before we begin, you can now subscribe to The Mythic Masculine on Substack. I invite you to become a paid subscriber, which allows me to keep producing episodes like this one. I don't accept advertising and rely on listeners like you to fund the show. You'll get access to exclusive posts, episode transcripts, and more. Visit themythicmasculine.com slash supporter to join. And now, enjoy my conversation with the Ali Chemist. Greetings, friends. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie, and uh, I'm delighted to welcome on my special guest here today, I have with me Patrick Dragon Lotus Flying Jaguar. Welcome to the show. Aho, brother. Super excited for you to experience me and, and to be here to just hold space for all the brothers. Well, I'm delighted to talk to one such as you who is, seems to be such an adept in men's work. And I see you've already been smudging or about to smudge. Yeah. Uh, with- I think it really just starts from the name that, that I chose uh, was given to me. Dragon Flying Lotus Jaguar, which, as you probably already didn't know, in Sanskrit means king, warrior, poet, overlord, king, king. So I think it's just best to start with humble beginnings and just start to scale from there. I mean, ascend from there. So I wonder with such a name, what, uh, how did you come to it? Was, uh, you said it was given to you, but you chose it. So it sounds like there was probably some kind of uh, uh, happening there. I'd love to hear about it. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of hard to remember because I don't really have long-term memory from all the ayahuasca I've been doing and, and the peyote. Mm. It was kind of given to me slash taken, much like all the other cultural things that I base my men's work around. So it's kind of like you see something you like and you just take it and then it becomes yours, which is kind of like a karmic rebalancing, if you will. I, I thought the term was cultural appropriation, but karmic rebalancing, I suppose, could work. I mean, we don't really like to use the C word here too much, but I guess in the lower realms of manlyhood, you could call it that. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear from you. What do you understand is the problem with men today? But first, I just want to make sure, can you see my mala okay? Because I just want to make sure that people feel safe. I can. Yeah, okay. I, I can. I can make it out. I mean, to be honest, I don't really see much of a problem other than there's not a lot of men that are signing up for my courses, which is alarming because uh-huh. how else are they supposed to get the truth if it's not for an entitled white guy like you or me? You know, I've heard stories of men who might have, you know, one weekend and then the next weekend they're pitching their workshop and their teachers. Uh, do you find that problematic? I mean, it's, it's, it's a little hard to say because the path is, is like, it's like a spiral, right? So it's like, who knows what point of the spiral they're on. So, yeah, I mean, I've gone through dramatic breakthroughs and then sold a 50K retreat right after that. And it was all uh, profitable. I mean, all uh, programmed for their ascension. It was, it was just really incredible. So, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. Hmm. Well, men's work in the past, I understand, consisted uh, of storytelling, you know, myth, ritual. And today, it seems like it's about 90% cold plunges. How would you say it's come to that? Before we begin, I just want to let my brothers that are tuning in know that I'm going to be speaking straight from the teleprompter. I mean, my heart space. So just to like open up their Deepak Chakra so that they can really hear where I'm coming from. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the question. I said, uh, it seems like men's work now is basically 90% cold plunges. And I wonder if you see the value in that. See, this is some of the hate that men's work people get, that, that we're all like self-indulgent and we spend, we're really privileged and we live a life of peak experiences with fit women, exotic islands, and just plunging ourselves in ice baths and, and calling that the collective of the, like healing of the collective of humanity. To be honest, it's just like, there's so much more to it than that. There's also taking other people's cultural rituals, there's quoting myself, there's learning all the latest NLP buzzwords like honor, impact, integrity, and alignment. And of course, there's alchemy and the sacred masculine. So all this stuff doesn't just happen on its own, you know. There's a lot of training and a lot of uh, DMT that goes into, into the making of a great men's work space holder like myself. And if you're interested, I can give you like the seven core steps of how to appear like a men's work coach without actually doing anything. Please do. Step number uno, hair. It's all about the hair. You can't be sacred if you've got fucking bald spot. It's just not the vibe. So luscious locks bring in the fellas, okay? It's like that Khalees song, my hair brings all the boys to the yard. And in this case, it's not a yard. It's just a sacred fire circle of indigenous songs that we don't know how to sing. Um, so step number one, hair. Get it or get out. Step number two is fitness model aesthetics because all those pale doughy men need something to look up to. Like 
Like, look at this one. Just a bit of context. Here, Patrick stands up and shows me his nipples. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I call the right one Reynolds, and the left one is called Ludwig. He's part German. <laughs> so it's really about the aesthetic and the look. So once you have the look that all men desire to be, then comes step number three, which is to really take deep breaths and hold your heart and speak slow. <sighs> low voice because that's really what a sacred brother does don't forget to bring up the ancestors at least three times in a sentence even though my own parents are sitting in a old folks home where they'll spend the last their last 15 years it's really really fucking important to bring up the ancestors step five this one this one is a powerful one okay it's called the complete ego death it's the dissolution of your complete ego. Basically, you just do a mind-shattering amount of psychedelics and lots of them. And then you talk about your visions, like they weren't just drug-induced dementia, but rather prophetic guidance on how somehow you, my friend, are the chosen one. And I'm not just talking about the regular ego death of gathering other super privileged white entitled materialists and selling them the spiritual vision of the spiritual version of the American dream. Not. Nah. I'm talking about having God speak to you True ego debt, the kind of ego debt that after which you go and spend a 30000 on a personal branding package, get a custom hat, a custom font, start quoting yourself and become the high ticket messiah that you were destined to be. Step number six, service. All of manliness is about service. And it's about serving others who are truly vulnerable. It just really hits me in my heart. To I have this soft space for these super marginalized white men, you know, the ones that only grew up with one black AMX credit card. Hmm. And number seven, semen and more talks about your vision. Who cares if the environment is being raped, the kids are being abused and they have nowhere to turn to and there's global famine and war as long as you're holding your semen. Because we, we, the sacred brothers, are out here creating the new earth. The new earth for rich, popular, hot, white people. Well, Patrick, Dragon, Lotus, Flank, Jaguar. Wow. Thank you for coming here and delivering your transmission. Welcome, Ali Sarter, to the show. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I begin all my interviews by asking my guests to speak a little of where they are in this moment, geographically, spiritually, um, you know, whatever feels true to just attune the listener to where you are now. Uh-huh. Well, geographically, I'm, uh, I'm currently in Tulum, Mexico, and I'm in the stages of wrapping up my life over here and moving to Bali. Um, so it's a really exciting phase. It's something that's been coming for me for a while. Um, other than that, like personally speaking, I'm doing really, I'm doing really incredible. I'm feeling very blessed. There's a lot of, uh, amazing things that are, that are just unfolding. You know, this, this, this interviews, this, uh, this podcast is one of them. Um, just, you know, by me deciding to trusting and going down the path of my heart and, and, and what I'm being led into with respect to my mission and the, and learning that's there. It's just been really beautiful. Like, uh, 
things are just opening up and lining up. You know, I got offered to be in an artist residency. All these things are coming up around the creativity, which is really, it's really inspiring. Hmm. Beautiful. Well, it is through the creativity that I found your work. I actually came across uh, the one of your clips on your Instagram uh, where you were sort of uh, speaking uh, in this character around men's work. It was sort of a satirical yeah. take on men's work. And it was actually sent to me uh, by my friend Zamir Danji. And uh, from there, of course, I got curious about your work and your, you know, and your Instagram, which I see you've listed yourself as a comedian of spiritual and social satire. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you cover a number of themes uh, in your work uh, as a humorous comedian, and not just men's work, but that's how I found you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd love to hear first about how you, you know, what launched you into uh, to, to expressing in this way um, and, and why this subject matter. Um, well, it, interestingly enough, it, uh, Instagram doesn't allow me to choose uh, a satirist or a satire writer. So the closest thing is comedian. And there's, there's a little bit of a difference, which, you know, uh, perhaps we'll get into uh, the nature of satire and why I use it as a, uh, as a, as a form of expression. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's jokes, writing jokes, telling jokes is something I've, it's as goes as far back as I can remember. You know, it's, we've always, we've always had this and there's a, you know, there's, I've been, I guess uh, I've been lucky to be around funny people. My brothers are both really funny. And, you know, one of the most incredible experiences of my childhood, uh, which I think really formed this, uh, uh, you know, this, this ability uh, was the fact that my, my you know, I grew up, uh, I come from an Eastern background from Pakistan and that's where I spent the first 18 years of my life. And now I've spent the next 18 years of my life in the West. So I've got a half and half, which is, which is quite interesting. Uh, and also lends itself to the art form of satire. Um, but yeah, I grew up with, with two other brothers and there was years that we slept in the same room together and all night we would just be making jokes and just cracking up, making jokes and just cracking up, just coming off, off, you know, off the top of our heads. And we did that for years. And I think that that really kind of refined my ability to do it. And I've been, you know, I wanted to do comedy, um, you know, a few years earlier. So I used to work, you know, I come from, uh, as I mentioned, a, a traditional Eastern background and in my culture, Pakistan, you know, when, when a child is born, um, it's either a wife or an engineer. So I kind of, uh, you know, I kind of had this destiny laid out for me, um, which I later on ended up, you know, changing. I never really thought about comedy seriously. And there was a point in my, uh, in my quarter life crisis where, you know, I was transitioning from uh, a life where I was, I was an engineer and a consultant and I wore suits every day to really discovering what my heart, what my mission was. And uh, I went into a vision quest, which I didn't know at the time was a vision quest, which, you know, we can talk about later if you like. And after, at the end of the vision quest, which took me to the four elements and the four directions, uh, it became very clear to me that I was to use art as a way to, to help people and to help them connect. And at that time, to be honest, I was too scared to do comedy. I couldn't believe that I could make money doing it. And so I chose the other thing that I really enjoyed, which was which was working with people and helping them. And so I became a life coach instead. And people, few people don't know that about me because, you know, I, I make a lot of uh, jokes about it. Uh, but I was a life coach myself and I did that for a few years. And 
many number of years later, you know, I, I basically did all the things other than doing what I love to do because uh, I was too scared to fail in. The other things I could fail in and it wouldn't mean that much. But, you know, something happened a year and a half ago where I met this guy and he told me he was a professional comedian and he got paid a lot of money doing it. He was very successful. And he's like, man, one thing I'll tell you is just like, you got to really fucking want it. You got to really, oh, sorry for, I don't know if you can, if it's PG in okay. here. Okay. Um, you got to really want it. And I just looked at myself. I was like, wait, I've been half-assing this. And like anything in life I know, whatever it is, whatever pursuits I've had and the people that I admire, they've gone, they've gone in pretty much full, full all in. And so I started doing it. And during these two moments where I first started doing it, uh, I, I, I would share, I've been sharing comedy for a number of years on my social media, but it was never like anything uh, directed anywhere. It's just funny things that I would write. And I had that ongoing and it was interesting, there was a span of three to three to four years. And when I first started to do the satire, people didn't take it well. And people, I got a lot of, you know, pushback and angry messages and people unfriending me. And I think what's happened is now the time of it is right. In three years, things have changed so much that there's been so much pain and bullshit that people have experienced themselves and witnessed that people are just ready for it. So... I just decided to do it again, and I was shocked by how much people were really ready for it and asking for it. So that's kind of been that that, uh, that journey for me. Hmm. Well, it's interesting you said that the, I mean, one, that you were life coach, and the subject matter that you tend to circle around, you know, as I go through your Instagram, tends to be around, uh, this, you know, the spiritual scene, the life coach scene, the men's work scene cryptocurrency, yeah. burning man, like, you you know, you clearly have a certain um, focus, that, that yeah. territory, right, that you tend to satirize. And yeah. it's interesting, because you do also seem to have an intimacy with that very world itself, which can make for good satire, obviously, with yeah. somebody who actually has enough time in to actually know how to yeah. critique it well. Yeah, it is fascinating. And you know, there's, so the, the form itself of satire, you know, people are, currently are experiencing it as just me making fun of something. And there's a lot of levels uh, of what's happening here. And I can't reveal all of those at the moment. It's happening in, uh, in various levels because it has to go into stages that it, that it is. And there'll be other things that are, that are going to be revealed uh, in, in various layers. Uh, but at the moment, people need to have their experience that they're having. And it's really important for them to have that. And so what's really fascinating, I can reveal one of the layers to you at this point in time. And what's really fascinating is a lot of what I'm doing is I'm playing to the beliefs that people already have. You know, this, this sense of self that people have created based upon their opinions and their beliefs. And it's really, I know what people might think about a certain topic. So I'll take one of those two extreme sides. And the funny thing is people think that naturally they think that I'm joking about it because I don't believe in it. You know, I did a sketch about human design and I just went, you know, how it's completely bogus. And a guy was sitting in, in a fucking mountain and he came up with it. Just just like really crazy sounding things. But the truth is, I actually am a huge fan of human design. So the art form is really about I'll look at a certain topic and I'll see where uh, one of those sides lie. And I'll just start talking about it. And I'll just start talking about it and really going in on it. So it's really fascinating because it allows me to observe and understand people in a way that they don't know. Because 
now that they think that I'm attacking this one thing, right, they'll start to give me all their opinions and their feedback and their pain. And I'm like, wow, I get to really intimately know people in a way that I would have never gotten to. So, for example, like I come into Tulum and I already know all the projections. Well, I know some of the projections that people have about it. And so I'll just basically keep writing to those, keep speaking to those. I'll pick a topic like, uh, you know, masculinity or tantric, uh, you know, sacred union or, you know, divine masculine, divine feminine work. I, 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 you know, I start to, you know, break it down into little pieces. And I realize that, yeah, I just say the things where I think the, the pain lies and Whatever I sometimes think, and this is also really funny and interesting and shocking part of it, is that I'll say something that's completely outlandish, and I'll get a message from someone be like, oh, yeah, that's what happened to me. And I'm like, whoa, it's crazy what's real. And so we're in this collective field of pain, of judgment, of fear, of ego, and it's really fascinating to be in there with people. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting now because I think you speak to you know layers of satire and and the art of satire, really, I, as I see, and the function. That's what I'm curious about: the function of satire, yeah. because right there's something there's something valuable around. I mean, let's take some of the you know focuses that you skewered, so men's work or be a Burning Man, or you know, there's there's lots of um, recognition that these communities can be really full of themselves, like essentially yeah. be so be so certain of like any group really, but so certain of their way of seeing the world that it's, you know, valid, that it doesn't have shadow, that uh, it's inherently, you know, good and right. And then it seems like the satirist, the satirist comes in and it becomes a bit of an emperor's, you know, no clothes kind of function. Right. Um, but the, the trick though is I think there's, there's a way to do it. That's like mean spirited um, yeah. and, and like cynical. Right. And then there's a way that's doing it that is actually a kind of, magic right they, they could yeah. kind of thieves it's like it maybe it's like the trickster the joker in the king's court right like it yeah. it kind of thieves the i don't know certainty of the ego but then it doesn't uh attack it in the same way like it gives it a place to actually be more human yeah. right that's how i might how i might look at it and and to see yeah. what you might be doing yeah you know what it, it yeah is there's actually so let's let's talk a little bit about about satire itself and and so it was used as an ancient art form where people could talk about openly the politics, the government, the state of society, and they could do it in ways that would not get them killed. And essentially, it's not that much more different now. Uh, so that's kind of where the where the forms of start to originate. And you know, there's lots. You know, the Aristophanes. He he. I think he's Greek or Roman. I forget. Uh, but he wrote a lot of these plays and. It started to it started to bring value to the people. I think it's um, there's so for my study inquiry into it. Again, this happened after the fact. I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of doing this, so I'm going to be on a podcast. So maybe let me just Google satire and and, and sound a little bit more official and smarter than I am. Um, <laughs> there's essentially two forms of it. There's uh, one form of it, which which is the like the latter one that you mentioned. I forget the name at the moment. Uh, which is very gentle and it's subtle, but it's very smart and it's very nuanced and it causes. And then there's the there's one which actually rhymes with juvenile, even though it's it doesn't mean the same thing. Was, uh, I could look the terms up. It's the more bordering on harsh, uh, very critical, very uh, intense uh, view of things, and it's very cynical. And so I, I find that that where. 
I've developed my abilities thus far, it lands a little bit more on the on the harsher side of it. For me, what this uh, what this art form has has been about, honestly, has also been talking about a lot of my rage, a lot of the injustices that I've seen in the world and that I've experienced myself. And living in this society, you know, I'm it's I live in this world where I find myself to be one of the few people of color. You know, I live in these luxury places in Tulum, Burning Man, all these amazing, you know, SLN, all this crowd. And I find myself to be like the only one. And there's a lot of rage I have against colonization and what happened and, you know, my own journey with my color and my identity and my religion and my culture and all of it. And it's been and it's so there is the rage that I'm able to channel. And I'm just so grateful that people are ready to start to start to uh, open up to it. So I can talk about all these things that really I'm, I'm hurting from and I get to share them and they're to some extent received. And it feels really relieving that I'm like, wow, I can be real. I can share how I feel. And it's really, really fascinating. And it's really beautiful. Once I express the rage or my cynicism, I can sometimes, not always, sometimes land on the shared human experience that we have. It allows me to confront the most tragic parts of being human because I see, when I'm able to see where things are coming from, really everyone wanting to feel safe. I can take something that's so evil, at least in my perception of like capitalism and, and you know selling $50,000 retreats and all of these things, and really start to see, develop the, the ability to see the humanity under it. Because nothing in life really is black or white. There's complexities to being human that are so incredible and so mystifying. Uh, and so it will start to perhaps arrive to places where it's not just black or white. We are able to see the, the textures and the layers of, of humanness. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what's unraveling right now. Well, let's speak about men's work specifically. And I'd be curious, one, what is your actual experience in men's work? Like in terms yeah. of retreats, in terms of, uh, I myself have gone through the Mankind Project ritual weekend and, uh, you know, other men's, I've been to Sacred Sons Convergence. And I ask that too, because I, again, I wonder the kinds of experiences you had um, and how that informs your understanding of the shadows and of the things that you speak to. My experience uh, with men's work is uh, there's there's two sides to it. One is that it's fucking incredible. It's it's one of the most I think needed and valuable things that a man can have, and it's it's there's nothing like it. There's nothing that can replace it. And I think in our culture, um, we're you know or at least we used to be proud on you know the one guy that built it all that hustled it all. And that's actually traumatic. Like, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. It's like, yes, you have your own mission, but you are you are in that pack of wolves that those men that are with you. And I don't know if it's because you know this has been one of my one of uh, the great a uh, big challenge that I that I faced while living in the West is how the Western mind and how people have all these layers between themselves that that are very confusing to me, to be honest. And so to meet. So to have this bond of brotherhood, I think, is like the most one of the most valuable things that a man can invest in. And there's really there's no going around it. There's really no going around it because having a good group of men 
who are on a similar path and who have the capacity. And the key word over here is the capacity to be real. And we'll get into that a little bit with the second part of the question is, is worth its weight in gold. You know, there's been so many times in my life that I was like, wow, if I had a male friend that I could talk to about certain things, um, it, my, my life would have been so different. A lot of it's to do with relationships, you know, that, yeah, that, you know, some people tend to make the, the partner their soul. And men, I know, do this, do this a lot. I don't, I'm not going to say for every man, but I see this happens a lot. Men uh, go into relationships and then their soul focus becomes a relationship, which is beautiful and, and, you know, transformative on its own. But those bonds with the brothers weaken and with other men weaken. And the relationship takes a direct hit because of that. So it's one of the most incredible things I've experienced. It's one of the most beautiful and essential things that's uh, that's needed for us because one of the questions I ask myself is what's the what's natural? What is the natural way to live? And I think, at least from from TV or maybe what my condition and programming is, it's men being surrounded by other men. And I think this this is missing now. It's like men being held by other men. And I've experienced that on my own. It's like just to be held by a man. I've been held by a man physically in a way that I can just just sink into it. And it's so incredible. I can't explain what it's like. So that's one thing that I would like to share to, to all the brothers is to really make time for men, you know. Uh, I find so many guys get, you know, single guys, they're, they're entertaining men, women or romance and all of that, and they don't make time for brotherhood. And it's, it's a shame and it's a, it's a loss. Um, mm. So that's been my experience with it. Beautiful. And your second part of the question is what kind of challenges or shadows that lie there. I think it's the same uh, across across the board. Um, you know, it's 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 realizing that uh, of having that ability to, to contemplate one's own intentions and to and to question oneself. You know, not necessarily in a doubting way, but to be like, wait. Is, is this to constantly be in that space? Because when you, when you know, that's when problem arises, right? Or when you're like, I know this. So some of the challenges that I've seen, some of the areas that I think we can grow into, you know, the Western uh, experience of spirituality is, is so incredibly, it's so interesting. It's so different from the Eastern experience that I've had. Mm. You know, for us, is there's there's it's always been about the sangha and the and the, the community and the family and the and, and really about the community almost um, uh, almost to a detriment. Uh, and in the you know when I came to the West, I was like, wow, people are so much about the individual, and it's all about the individual to a certain extent. There's a lot of programming and conditioning happening that prevents people from being individuals, but it's a it's a very different way of operating in our daily life choices. Like people. Their choices are more centered around themselves, let's just say. So the Western spiritual journey becomes a very much of an individual journey of my experience, my truth, my downloads, my, you know, my medicine journeys. And that's beautiful, but it can't just be about that. If we're not careful, if we're not mindful, it can just become, we can spend our entire lives going down this individual path of exploration, discovery, and transformation. One thing I want to speak to is the shadow around capitalism and personal growth and specifically men's work, of course, right? Because this is another area too. you skewer, you know, somewhat in your uh, humor and your satire. But also the question that I often have, right, is you spoke to your experience growing up 
in the East and how the that that kind of culture work was held within uh, a cultural framework, right? That that had many points of kind of um, nourishment. I don't know. Let's say, right? This idea that it's it's an actual active culture, whereas in the West, it's like we don't have that kind of cultural frameworks. And so, mm-hmm. for example, like Zen Buddhism can become, you know, like a kind of decor that you have for your home. It doesn't have the the kind of you know hundreds of years old sangha with like relationships to the monks that come every morning and have their you know the the the, the cups to gather food and so there's no framework for that and so yeah so the west in the absence of that we i think we have capitalist uh, incentive that sort of rides in on the very true you know desire for connection desire for brotherhood um mm-hmm. but it's it's inherently a kind of devil's bargain right because on the one hand, it's like to do this work, you need capital, it seems generally, right? You need capital to make it happen, to show up places, you know, to make it, to run an organization. It's like, well, you need some, you need capital. But as soon as you're kind of in that mode, it becomes very tempting to now, you know, push it to the edge of, you know, what the market would allow. And, and yeah. that's when the, yeah, the seduction kicks in. And all of a sudden, people that are paying thousands to go to some retreat for the weekend, right, get the feeling of being within a cultural framework of, being seen and being held, but then oftentimes it dissolves right after that weekend. And then there's, you're, you're kind of hooked, right? You're left wanting more, yeah. but it's not a sustainable experience of quote villaging, you know, in my sense. Yeah. And so that's that to me, that's the danger. And so it's not any, it's not particular to men's work necessarily. Although I think men's work has become infected by the very same challenges that anything, you know, within the personal growth paradigm or any kind of culture yeah. work that, you know, tries to establish itself in the West. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's, it's a really major thing that you bring up because, you know, there's two, there's two parts that I'll, that, I'll, that I'll look at. The first part of it is just like it's the tragic, the tragedy of a population in the West that came and, to different, con- different cultures and basically destroyed those cultures. And it happened in Canada. It happened in many countries. And it's so it's it's tragic or call it karma, if you will, is like the same people that destroyed the culture are now suffering because that culture is not there. And so mm-hmm. everywhere you find people yearning desperately, not even knowing how deeply they're missing all these rituals that they, in fact, destroyed themselves. And so now it's like, fuck, what do we do now? These rituals that we destroyed. And unfortunately, what's happening, which also ties into your earlier question is some of the shadows around there is we're in this in this new age where anyone can be anything and people are constantly discovering themselves. And I think what's missing is humility and being a student and really learning traditions, really honoring and learning the traditions. And, you know, I've been part of this myself is like, what is it to know ritual and what is it that that's ritual and how can we bring, how can we learn the rituals and and bring those back? And that requires a lot of work, not just of learning the rituals. There's like a lot of cultural, there's a lot of karmic, there's a lot of energetic work that needs to be rebalanced between stuff. So, so that's one of the areas is just like, you know, that's what's, what's lacking and that's what they're trying to recreate. The other side of it is, and this goes into, you know, what I was mentioning earlier is like the humanity is that we've lived under the shadow of capitalism of, and by capitalism, what I mean is this, this, model of that's just extractive that just takes is this blueprint that's in the psyche of, of man that is just like that i must take that it has to be me against and 
and it's like the earth and everything is just something that I can take for for myself. And we've lived under it for so long. It's difficult for us to imagine. I know there's people that are thinking of this, but it is still difficult for most people to imagine what life would be like if we weren't under the shadow because we've lived under it for so long. What would life be like if you didn't have to do most of the things you did? You know, if you weren't enslaved into your job into if you weren't a part of a system that is meant that has enslaved you and basically have you always working to get money to feel safe what would it look like and we don't even know and so this is one of the parts of where i was alluding to earlier the humanity starts to come in where you start to see and this is also where true the you know it's the ones that are just mimicking the words and the ones that are actually on the path can be separated a little bit is that we start to see it's like any of the other conditioning, although quite, quite deep, is that you can't imagine for a second that you're not being governed by it. The second that you start to think that it's not operating on you in some way, you, you've lost it. It's one, you know, it's one. So it's to always have this awareness that these forces are so much larger than what we can imagine. It's these collective fields of decades, if not hundreds, even not larger, even you know, millennia of human experience that's weighing down on us. And it takes a lot of humility to realize that these forces are always operating. And the way that my, I think, is actually shaped by these on such a deep level. And once we start to question these, can we perhaps come to a better, a better way of doing things? And that's actually something that I'm quite excited about, to see what is this, you know, coming back to what is natural, because in nature, things don't need to be this way. This is only our own fear, our truly our disconnection that causes us to be in this perpetual fear and this, this insecurity, which we think we can feed with different things and having different things. And so what would it be like for a natural system to be created that generates value in a way that everything is taken care of? And that's what I'm really inspired by is like, what what does a business what does a whole business system looks like that doesn't exploit any of its part that generates profit that generates value and is not at the expense of anything? Well, this could be a good insert for me to uh, mention uh, a film that I released about ten years ago, actually now with a fellow named Charles Eisenstein, based on his book Sacred Economics. Uh, which is a short film. It's about 12 minutes, right? Folks can find it online. But that was him actually trying to articulate what an economic system might look like that was actually based on the spirit of the gift. Um, and so that was my intention was actually to just elevate that, uh, to, you know, make it available as a film so folks could just touch that possibility. One thing I want to name as well, though, is that you mentioned systems that might, you know, exist without generating deep consequence or, but, or and at the same time, value and, and profit, for example. And, it's my understanding when I speak to, for example, indigenous guests uh, embedded in their cultural ways that the whole idea of surplus or profit is that's the obscenity in the system, mm-hmm. right? For example, that uh, one fellow, he spoke about how when he's gathering medicines for you know a particular ceremony or for the meal, they only take what they need at that time, Right. And that's, that's, that's the actual respectful reciprocity yeah. of saying, okay, look, we don't, because if you took more to, you know, use it to quote, generate profit, then already now you're in that system of uh, the need to constantly feed, you know, growth at the expense of taking too much. And yeah. so in some ways you could say that, yeah, the entire capitalist system is essentially built upon that taking too much, 
So there's no yeah, such thing as, quote, not taking too much, right, from that systemic paradigm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm deeply in the question, too, of what it might mean to step back into or forward into, right, a paradigm of deep reciprocity once again, where I think when, this is the thing when you tap into the, the innate generativity of life, that there's always more. But, but not from a sense of, you know, you take and there's more. The colonized paradigm is learning that, right? That the more you take, actually, the less there is until life can't life anymore. But yeah. that there is a way of being in relationship to life where life continues to renew itself. And I think that's the question I think before us, right, is where can we sort of find the personal collective humility uh, to participate in such a way that we further pollinate that paradigm? I mean, that's been my deep work. I see it in your methodologies you know, of humor, of satire, of, you know, churning over the sort of ego certainties of, of folks that, you know, are trying to do good, I would say, right? Yeah. People that are leaning into personal growth and, yeah. you know, men's work and things. There's, there's a trying to do good, but that there's a yeah. deep necessity to constantly reflect and reconfigure. And I believe satire and humor have been really powerful ways to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's very true, man. Ian, I'm also really inspired by your uh, dedication to these questions and contemplation of it. And I'm, you know, I really look up to you uh, this way as well. And I, I, I look forward to learning more from you as well as we have these mutual areas of, uh, of inquiry. Um, one of the things that I just wanted to add uh, to one of the earlier points that you had mentioned about, and it kind of ties into this conversation as well, is that we're trying to recreate the bonds that we didn't have. Like, a lot of this men, men's work is also a result, or at least I, I think, a result of the father void that we have. You know, it's like we're, that's why we're drawn to people like, you know, you'd asked me in the earlier part of, of, of like Aubrey Marcus or people like that. Amongst many reasons, it's like we see these larger than life people that have all the qualities that we've been, we've been you know, the, they embody all the archetypes. They're powerful warriors, strong guys. And they're basically like every child's dream of what that father could have been or that father that they desire, you know, a man that's also strong and can also just like, you know, uh, tell them he's proud of them and, 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 uh, you know, maybe do mushrooms with them. And so it's like, we're trying to, we're trying to constantly, you know, and as another brother of mine, Ezra, he said, it's like, we're being fathers to each other. And so it's really, it's really, it's really beautiful when we can remember that. And so I'm really excited to see what comes from, from the, this movement and the levels of refinement that will occur. Ali, such a pleasure to hang here today, have our conversation, and um, maybe let the listeners know where they can find your satirical work. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes, Ian. Uh, it, was a, it was a true pleasure and delight uh, listening to myself. Um, you can find it. You can find me mostly on Instagram. It's the word, the alchemist, but it has my name. Ali, so it's the Ali Knist. Mm, beautiful. And I'll keep, uh, I'll add it to the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mythic Masculine. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode on your social media. Once again, you're invited to check out The Mythic Masculine on Substack. You'll be able to subscribe to forthcoming episodes as well as consider becoming a paid supporter. Visit themythicmasculine.com slash subscriber to join.